Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you folks. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's always a joy to come to Parker Ford Church and uh, um, bring the word and uh, be together. So greetings from Cornerstone. Uh, the elders and your brothers and sisters there greet you, and they're praying for us while we're worshiping together uh, here today. So um, uh, when I pulled up this morning, I had a particular point of uh, joy as I walked into the church um, because, uh, you know, it's Christmas, and um, without getting into my own personal insecurities and issues, um, I just have a lot of problems with Christmas. Um, a lot of revisionist history, a lot of, a lot of romanticization of, you know, of, of stuff. So one, one of the things that I do is, and I don't do this with, that, with, with just everybody, you know what I mean? I only do this with people that I'm close to and uh, who can take a joke. But like if I'm ever at your house and if we're relatively close and you can take a joke, I will steal the wise men from your nativity scene and I will hide them somewhere in your house um, because the wise men came from afar, um, you know. And so, uh, uh, so like last year at Christmas, I, I hid my sister's wise men like really, really well. Uh, I mean, I hid them good. And she called me on Black Friday like, hey, where the heck are my wise men, um, you know, 11 months later. Uh, so walking up to the doors of Parker Ford Church, whoever decorated outside, I mean, good job because the wise men are on the right and the nativity's over on the left. Uh, so it was, it's perfect, you know, really well done. Very biblical. Congratulations. That is, the way, that is the way to start the season. And now you know if I'm ever at your place and you've got a nativity scene and somehow the wise men go missing, what happened? So uh, yeah. it's great to, uh, to be together again. And uh, today we're going to um, look at a day in the life of Mary. Um, and as we think about uh, what it means for us to be like, uh, stepping in and through this Advent season, you know, um, you've been going through this day in the life of series, and so a day in the life of Mary um, <clears throat> is something that's uh, a really fitting thing to consider. However, we are going to take the long way to get there, um, and we're going to start in Genesis, and uh, I'm going to preach the entire Old Testament, and then we'll get... I'm just joking. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm not going to do that. However, we are going to start in Genesis because uh, I think we need to revise some of the way that we think about some things um, in order to really understand this particular day in the life of Mary. So I actually want to read this day in the life of Mary um, and then go way, way back to uh, look at a perspective from the Lord, and then we, maybe we can see what happens to Mary and the way that Mary brings herself in worship um, in, a, in a different light today. So that's the plan. Let's pray, and um, we'll invite the Lord to reveal to us what he has. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for uh, this body of Christ, and uh, we come together under your name as your people. Um, you are our Father, and we are your children, and it is our joy um, to worship you and to give you praise and to honor you. And so uh, we recognize uh, Christ in our midst the one um, under whose name we have come, on whose blood it covers us. And we, uh, we rejoice in the fact that um, the incarnation is real and that um, Christ is, um, uh, is, has been made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And we behold his glory again right now. And uh, we receive him again right now. And uh, we look to open our hearts and our minds to the Holy Spirit and to the work of Jesus and to the Father heart of God as we engage together what it means for us to know you and to be with you, um, to be your people, and for you to be our God. So would you come and bring revelation and insight, um, bring conviction, bring wonder, bring all of the things that it is that you have for us this day, um, because you know us each individually and corporately, 
uh, what we each um, require and what as a body we require um, to more deeply and fully be who it is that you have designed us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to take your text and turn to Luke chapter 1. You know, Luke gives us some of the most uh, formational and and, uh, detailed um, story of the way the incarnation came about and how that, that whole thing just sort of rolled itself out. And uh, so of particular emphasis, though, um, in Luke's mind as he writes this gospel is uh, um, this person, Mary, and what it means for us to to, to know Mary. You know, I think Mary um, has uh, gotten something of a... um, a distorted view um, through the church over the years. It has a lot to do with the fact that Mary plays very, very strongly in a Roman Catholic tradition in a way that, um, you know, Protestant tradition does not, does not view at all. And um, so a- as such, I think um, we as, as Protestants have sort of, or Anabaptists or people from coming from the Reformation have uh, sort of like been something uh, sort of afraid of her uh, along the way. Like, who who is this person? Um, and uh, if there's going to be a big emphasis over there, then how about we not have much emphasis over here? Um, but in so doing, I think that we miss a, a crucial piece of what it means to understand Jesus. Um, and I think Mary has some things to reveal to us today about what it means for us to approach God the right way. Um, because what we're going to look at today is not just Mary um, as a historical figure, but Mary's heart. Um, the posture of her spirit toward God. So verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. At verse 38, uh, a point of emphasis. Mary said, behold, I I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We're going to focus on that phrase, let it be. So uh, a lot of what I'm going to teach right now as far as the understanding from Genesis one and here in Luke chapter one is uh, something that uh, Tim and I learned from um, a good friend of Netzer, a teacher, leader, writer. His name's Andy Crouch, um, and he revealed to us just this really interesting insight that I wanted to share with you and base some things off of as we as we move forward. Um, so, 
Stick your finger in Luke chapter 1. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. And there's, there's chaos. There's uh, all, all, all manner of uh, confusion. And the Spirit of God is hovering over this chaos. And then from that chaos, God speaks a word. He says, let there be light. Right, let there be light. And God continues to make the world through this same phrase. Right? Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Right, let's say that phrase together. Let there be. Right, now, this is an interesting phrase in Hebrew. Uh, this is not a Hebrew phrase that's actually directly translatable into English. We don't actually have a, a, a grammar construction that, that rightly reveals that what this phrase, let there be, or let it be, is. This is a Hebrew uh, tense called jussiv. Right, let me hear you say jussiv. Jussiv, J-U-S-S-I-V-E, jussiv. And, and what jussiv is, is jussiv is, this, here's your fun uh, grammar lesson for the day. I'm sure this is why you came today. Um, uh, Justive is a form of imperative, but not really, right? So an imperative is a command, right? Imperative is a command, like uh, uh, sit down, right? That, that Im- Im- imperative, um, you know, uh, stand up, imperative. Uh, we, we receive commands in the imperative form, and we know what to do. Imperatives are action-based. Um, ju- justive is also action-based, but justive is not the same thing as imperative, right? So... Uh, to to um, illustrate this, God says, let there be light. And that's not an imperative. Right? God is not saying, let there be light. And there it is. Jussive is imperative, but not really. Because whereas imperative is about forming an action in something outside of yourself, right? forming an action in something outside of yourself, Jussive is a release of something that's already present, right? So imperative is about forming something outside of yourself, an action outside of yourself. Jussive is still active, but it's a release of something that's already there. So when God says, let there be light, he's not like, he's not, activating a work as much as releasing something that's already present within himself. Right? Quick rabbit trail. Feel free to fall asleep during this if you want to. Um, I'll call you back in two minutes. Like, but like if you're at all like into like creation or anything like that or understanding uh, creation, we've been taught oftentimes that creation is ex nihilo, right? which is Latin, which means out of nothing. God made the world out of nothing. Uh, So a lot of the heresies in the early church were based on ex materia. In other words, God made the world out of something that was already there. So God wasn't the first thing. 
That, that's the idea. Like it was made, there was something material there that God messed around with to make the world. And we've been taught a lot that, that creation is ex nihilo, that it's out of nothing. However, n- neither of these things is actually true. Uh, creation is ex deo. It's out of God. Right? It's, it, it's, it's out, of, out of God. To say that there was nothing um, is uh, a cheap, cheap shot at God, <laughs> if, if you ask me. Um, because that's, that's sort, of, sort of like saying, well, then, um, then what was, if there was nothing, then what are we talking about? Did you ever realize that when you talk about nothing, you've made it something? That to actually talk about nothing means that you never talk about that ever? which is a real philosophical mind warp. Um, however, creation is, is ex deo. It's, it's out of God himself. So then fast forward, this is the coolest thing, fast forward to 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, where all scripture is given by God, that it's inspired by God. That means God breathed. It's ex deo, right? The word of God is, 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 comes out of God's character. So the word of God comes out of God and is useful for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Where does creation come from? It comes from God's words. Right? God speaks and something happens. So creation actually, we, we are formed, this good creation, that's this good thing, comes out of our good God who set things all forward, not in a, not in like in even a, um, uh, like, like an angry, like, let this better happen. And light, if you don't appear, I'm going to come get you. But rather, it's just a simple release. Light is already existent in the mind and the heart and the character of God. And God just says, let there be light. And there is. Sun, moon, and stars is already existent in the mind and the heart and the creative nature of our God. And for the world to be made, it's, a, it's adjustive. It's a release. It's, it's yes, let, let, sun, moon, and, let there be sun, moon, and stars to light the day and the night. And, and, and there it is. We, we let it be. It's a release of something, right? It's not a working hard after something. It's not a striving after something. It's a simple release of what's already present in and through the nature and character and presence of God himself. Folks, listen, listen. The Bible does not start at Genesis 3. The beginning of your story is not a broken, fallen, sinful world. Sin is not your story. The beginning of the story, and we so screw this up with our evangelism methods, right? One of the first, th- the, the first thing we're generally trained in when it comes to how to share someone, the gospel with somebody is you've got a problem. The problem is you. You're a sinner. You're broken, and you need fixing. You can't do that. That's okay, though, because Jesus did. However, if you don't receive his fixing, then you burn in hell forever. If you do receive his fixing, you get to go to heaven. How do you feel about that? I, I don't want to go there. I do want to go here. Great. That's good. Then pray this prayer. And if you pray this prayer, then you're in. And if you don't, then you're out. And the problem is not necessarily the translation of that. The problem is the starting point for that because the starting point for every human is not sin. The starting point for every human is a good God who made a good world and who put good people in it who were formed in his good image to reveal and reflect his life and character in the world. That's the beginning of the story. And that's all held within the justive tense of God That's what God originally intended to have released. It's not until Genesis 3 
that we see sin come onto the picture. And when sin comes in, it breaks that goodness, right? And this is so interesting. It breaks the goodness. So Genesis 2, my granddad, uh, who, you know, uh, built houses and, like, we would work for fun. Uh, my granddad used to always justify this to me. He would say, work is good. Like, God wants you to work hard all the time because work was made before the fall. Right? God gave Adam a job to do. So, so work is good. However, in Genesis 3, what do we see the curse bringing? A perverted form of work, right? It, it, so it's not that work is bad after, after sin. It's that it's perverted. It's that now work is not going to produce anything. You're going to work and work and work, and the thistles are going to come up, and they're going to bite you, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to try to make something, and it's not going to work. Like sin, sin has broken the goodness. And so now this formation, this concept of work, this imperative in our lives of go do something with your life, go make something happen with your life is something that now we, we strive for. And most of Americans and American Christians are not living with a let it be. Rather, it's like, here we go. I'm going to build my life. What's in the way? I'll figure out a way to knock it down. Right, But if enough obstacles come up, then we just sort of like, man, this is too darn hard. And so rather than breaking through that obstacle, I think I'm just going to sit back and let that obstacle own me in this place, or I'll find a way around it. But, but regardless, it's certainly not going to be a, Lord, what are you doing here? Oh, that? Well, let it be. Right? We, 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 we don't approach it with that way. We, we do tend to strive. We do tend to overthink the work that it is that God has actually called us to. And in so doing, we agree with the curse that sin has brought instead of agreeing with the heart of God that would have us come alongside him in all of his goodness and all of his love and that just says, let it be. All right, let it be. God, what are you doing in my life with this hard struggle? I am trying to let something be. <laughs> and all you want to do is strive. All you want to do is push. All you want to do is try and get this thing out of the way rather than let it be. Let it be. Um, did you ever think about the fact that uh, in the Exodus with Moses, where Moses goes to Pharaoh, Moses says to Pharaoh, let God's people go. Pharaoh does not like that. And he gets quite angry. And as a result, he punishes the Israelites and he punishes Moses by punishing the Israelites. How does Pharaoh punish the Israelites? Does he line up all of the men, choose every 10th one, and then kill that 10th one and be like, there, now listen. He makes them work harder. Pharaoh's great punishment is not death. Pharaoh's punishment is work harder. Strive. I'm going to make life more difficult for you. Pharaoh's always the antithesis of God in the scriptures. Like you have the Lord and his rest and his goodness and his work here. And you've got Pharaoh and his heavy burden and his heavy, uh, his heavy work over here. And it's always about, it's always about like, how are we going to view this? God's work is to let it be. Pharaoh's work is you better make it happen and it's going to be hard. So, for me, this came uh, full circle, and I didn't know I was learning this lesson at the time, um, but uh, just, just to put this in perspective to sort of illustrate what's going on here. So, um, I mean, I've shared my family, about my family with you folks before. I have, I have two kids. My two youngest kids have cystic fibrosis, right? And so, um, 
which is a, a really difficult disease. Uh, kids have a lot of therapies, a lot of doctors, a lot of hospitals. It's, 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 it's not an easy road for them or, or for us as a family when it comes to the way that we walk through this disease. Um, our kids were diagnosed back in uh, 2000. Our daughter was diagnosed in 02. Uh, ben was diagnosed in 03. And, um, and so this, has, th- this was a consistent and now ever-present reality in our lives. And, um, you know, so when our kids were diagnosed with, with CF, um, I responded in a work harder mentality. Okay, like, so, so here's a thing. Like, here's a challenge. What am I going to do? So I went to the library, and I checked out, like, every book on cystic fibrosis I could find. And, and, I, and I read them all. And I went home, and I rearranged our house so that we had, like, easy access to everything. And this is where all of our meds were going to be. And this is where our therapy machines were. And this is where this piece was going to happen here. And then I started to rearrange my life, right? And so I started to be like, well, okay, so now I need to be home here to help with this here. And I've got work here and I can't handle all of this at the same time. So I'm just going to have to work harder and try and figure this thing out. And so I started working really hard over here, working really hard over here. In the meantime, uh, in, in the meantime, what I didn't realize was that all I was doing was uh, seeing this challenge that was put in front of me as um, just something that, that God had sort of designed for, for me to feel pain because I must have done something wrong. Right, so like here's here's God going CF and J's life imperative, <laughs> right? CF and J's kids' lives, and and here's that thing. Now figure it out. And all right, I'm up for the challenge. I'll figure it out. The thing is, is that I could never figure it out, right? Because how do you, how do you figure that out? How, how do you figure out disease? How do you figure out death? You know, like how how do you figure out uh, uh, turmoil in your life? How do you figure out situations that you don't want and didn't ask for? You know, when these things find you or when you create them for yourself, like how, how, do, you, how do you figure that out? How, how, do you, how do you walk in that reality? You know, and so, so like the, it, beca- it becomes a heavier and a heavier burden. For me, it became a heavier and a heavier burden um, to try and, and, and somehow figure out what had I done to displease God? What kind of work could I do to get back in good enough with him that he would take CF away? Right, that was sort of like the spiritual math that I, that I walked in, which was, um, you know, looking back at it now, or maybe you know, sort of like, well, that's, that's crazy. Well, may, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but it's what I had at that point in time. Frankly, it's something I still trip back to. Um, and so, like, all right, God, like, let's, I'll figure this out. You, you need to fix me. I did something to deserve this. Did you ever think in John chapter 9, Jesus is walking to his, with his disciples into the temple, and there's a blind dude sitting there. The blind guy doesn't say a word. He doesn't ask for anything. They're just walking by this blind guy, and the disciples say to Jesus, I mean, and the guy can still hear, <laughs> you know? The disciples standing in front of this blind guy say to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? In other words, what did he do to deserve this? Like, what, what, what happened? What broke in his past that the imperative of God said, you're going to have to be blind because of this? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This is so that the glory of God might be what? Revealed. That the glory of God might be let be. And so the things that find us in our lives, the things that we, that we don't want and didn't ask for and sometimes created on our own, and that we find ourselves in this mess, 
the posture that we bring when we think that God is only an imperative God who is only looking to get performance out of us and work out of us produces a striving within us that completely works against the nature of how God creates things. So I, I just tried to like take this challenge head on. You know, I ended up running my family into the ground. I ended up almost losing my marriage over it. Um, it got really, really bad, really, really fast. And after that whole situation, particularly where um, Sherry and I almost didn't make it, we started going to, to, uh, to going to counseling together. Um, we've never stopped going. We've been in marital counseling for 14 years. It's been great. Um, uh, and and the Lord. Uh, through this just wonderful counselor that we had, um, she was helping us understand this, uh, like, essentially, I guess, like, why this thing had come into our lives. And, and at some point, I could beat my head against the wall of CF until uh, I was just blue in the face and bloodied. But that thing in my power is, is not going to move. So I can choose to stand there and keep beating and beating and beating and working and working and working. Or I can let CF be and then let God be bigger. But the amount of like release that that takes, the loss of control that you feel in that spot, the disempowerment that comes with trusting fully in God's power is something that is very, very simple, but not easy. And so it was this, it's a, it's a discipline of sorts of like, what does it mean for us to understand ourselves in light of who God is? And will we let our circumstances redefine who God is? Or will we let God be? Will we be completely aligned, surrendered, and, and even justive toward God? Where me working is me being imperative toward God. Isn't that crazy? Like, God, heal my kids, <laughs> right? I point my finger, I'll give you a command. Like, this has to happen. Or I can let God be God in and through this and trust in his heart and his character and his being in a way that allows for him to be fully himself and for me to release my anxiety, my work, my, my, my insane processes, my own self-obsessions, my brokenness, my insecurities, releasing those things to him so that he can do what he does when things are let be, which is make something beautiful. That's what God does. He, he takes these broken people and this broken situation because the scriptures don't start with sin. It starts with him. And to the degree that you and I will let him be, and to the degree that you and I will agree with the let being that he is working in our lives, to the degree that you and I will be justive instead of imperative toward him, is, the, is to the degree that we can experience the beauty of the creative and redemptive work that he's trying to do. And that takes trust in who he is in his character. So now let's come back all the way around to Mary. Mary is given an insane situation that she did not want and did not ask for, right? I mean, imagine being, being her. I mean, this is probably a 14-year-old kid, 14, 15-year-old kid. She's 
by herself. The angel shows up. And I think that any woman here who in that situation was approached with the same thing would have the exact same, exact same response, sort of like, are you serious? Do you, do you know what this is going to do to my reputation? Like I, and, and, and think about like today's sexual norms. You know, like we figure it out. In those days, you're, you're like, you have just disgraced your family forever. And you have every reason to be kicked out of the community for having done this. Furthermore, your fiance knows that it's not his. Right? So now any chance for marriage goes right out the window because you are now labeled an unfaithful wife before the wedding even happens. But I didn't do this. It was God. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, the, the, the level of, of, um, of conundrum and, and of problem that, that is presented to Mary is, is very, very deep. Very, very deep. And she asks perfectly good questions. How will this happen? Verse 34. The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Right? Mary's a, a Jewish young woman. She knows her scriptures. She knows that she's being presented with the Messiah. She knows that what God is saying to her is exactly what he's been saying. <laughs> and that what God is doing is something that, that is beyond her own mind. And truly, when God says, Mary, you are favored, she receives that. She receives that favor in the midst of the situation that she did not want and did not ask for. Right? I mean, a significant amount of pain that she's about to walk as she starts to show and as everybody starts to whisper. She receives that in, as, as favor. And what does she say? Verse 38. Let it be. I am your servant. Let it be. There was one night, um, we lived in St. Louis right after our kids were diagnosed and uh, um, for the first couple of years, and um, we spent a lot of time in the hospital with Christy at St. Louis Children's Hospital. And um, there was a, a family in our church um, His name was Bernie. Her name was Amy. And Amy and Bernie um, were relatively new to our congregation, and um, I didn't know them well at all. I, I was the youth pastor at this church, and, um, and I just didn't have a lot of contact with them. They had really, really young kids. Um, and one of their kids was a little boy named Levi. Um, Levi was born with some kind of a brain deformity that left him um, just completely incapacitated um, and, and requiring a deep level of care. He should not have lived past the first week after birth, according to the doctors. Um, when they started coming to our church, he was two years old. And um, he was in this wheelchair um, that uh, and and he was he was he was just he was just completely um, dependent on his parents. Like he never made it beyond the dependency that a one week old has. Um, so they would have to uh, they, they they were consistently feeding, cleaning, uh, changing, um, you know, holding. It was just it was a really really intense situation for them, and it was wreaking just absolute havoc on on their their marriage. And um, uh, again, I, I didn't know them at all. They came to our church. They found some good help. Um, you know, they found some good pastoral care, um, and and they actually ended up 
observing us from a distance, right? So, so our youth pastor, um, his kids have this disease, they're in the hospital, let's pray, let's give, these different kinds of things. They would hear those things from time to time. Um, so it was a Sunday night in, uh, I, don't, I think it was July, we were in St. Louis Children's Hospital, and um, we, I think we'd been in about three or four weeks at that time, um, which when you're in a hospital for that long, like the walls just start to close in on you. You know, it's, it's insane. If you ever had that experience, it's, it's hell. Um, it doesn't matter how nice the hospital is or how new or whatever. It's just, it's, it's a very, very hopeless at the hopeless situation, if that's what it feels like. And that hopelessness was really starting to get to me. And uh, um, if you remember, <laughs> if you remember like the, the 90s band Dashboard Confessional, um, which is sort of like this very like depressive, <laughs> like, like moody music, you know, very emo. Um, you know, I'm sitting there like, like just like listening to Dashboard Confessional on this particular night, wallowing in, uh, in myself and the situation. And, 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 and just, I hadn't given up on God. I was just sort of like, he wasn't good. I could, I could tell you that, you know, like the goodness of God was very much up for grabs in my, uh, in my mind. It was like nine thirty, ten o'clock. And, and we were on a, on a, on a closed floor. So it was oncology and CF were on the same floor at children's, uh, St. Uh, St. Louis children's, which means at nine o'clock, like it gets locked down. Only you can only come in and uh, up and through, through the staff elevators. I don't know how she did it, but somehow Amy got this word from the Lord on that Sunday and she came to visit at like 9.30 at night and she somehow got on the floor. And uh, I, I, I now think that Amy might have been like an angel from, from God, literally. Um, uh, so anyway, um, she came to the room and uh, sat down just sort of like, you know, we talked about things, how are things going? And here's a woman who has deep, deep identification <laughs> with, with our situation you know, and, 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 and the care that she and Bernie have to offer Levi. And uh, she sat there, and, and, and he, again, just remember my frame of state, just really, really uh, depressed, gone, and questioning um, God's work. And she, uh, we started talking back and forth about this, that, the other, how the treatments are going, their experience at St. Louis Children, so on and so forth. And she said, I came here tonight because I needed to tell you something. I was like, okay. Um, she goes, it's about God. And, um, I don't know if you want to hear about him right now, but I've essentially come to evangelize you. <laughs> and I was like, all right, now I'm here. I'm this pastor, uh, receiving evangelism. I was like, well, great. Let, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to hear from God. So if he's going to fix this situation through you, bring it. Um, and, uh, she goes, nope, it's, it's nothing like that. Uh, she goes, um, and she started using the plural, you know, because uh, she goes, what, what he wants us to understand is that we are so highly favored. We are so lucky to have Levi and for you to have Christy. Like we are, we are so favored. Do, do you realize how highly God thinks of you to give a child that needs this much love? in this unique kind of a way that he trusted her with you? Like, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the favor? Have you ever thought about how, how like, great he thinks you are to be able to handle this kind of a weight and to lead your family through this kind of a, of, of, of a, of a trial? Like, God just, he is so, so proud of who you are. And he thinks so great about who you are. And he loves Christy so much. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what? Like, are, are you serious? She was just like, somebody has to love kids 
in this space in life. <laughs> Somebody has to be willing to walk in these kinds of places to offer this kind of love. And he thinks you're amazing to be able to do that. I'm just sort of like, wow. wow. Like, well, if he thinks I'm so great, I would love for him to show that favor by taking this away. And she was like, eh, that might happen. That might not happen. Regardless, how he thinks about you does not change. But how you think about him has changed. She said, you can beat your head against this disease until you're blue in the face. Like you, you can keep trying to work and figure this thing out. You can shake your fist at God as long as you want to. But at some point, you will reach the spot where you're just going to have to let this situation be what it is and find God in it. Right? What did she tell me? <laughs> at some point, you're going to have to be Joseph. At some point, you're going to have to release. At some point, you're going to have to stop striving. You're going to have to stop trying to redefine God and let be God who he truly and fully is, apart from your definitions, apart from your ways of thinking about things. At some point, you're going to have to be like Mary, who actually actively receives and who says yes and who agrees with God by saying, let it be. And that's not defeat. It just means that you are now finding God in a way and knowing God in a way that you never knew that you would. And for Mary, that meant an actual experience of raising God's son. Right? Knowing and experiencing God in a way that none of us ever could or would. And it came by the posture of her spirit that said, let it be. And what it births, what it births in her is not striving. What it actually births is worship. All right, go ahead and put that scripture up. Mary said in Mary's song of praise in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And in this situation, right, none of her questions were answered. But the situation still happened. Joseph still responded initially the way that she thought he would. Like, are you serious? I'm going to have to call this thing off. And then God appears to him and Joseph's him. <laughs> you know, Mary, don't, or Joseph, don't do that. Okay, Lord, I will let it be. We will follow. We will let it be according to your word. The beauty of the incarnation, the beauty of this Christmas season, the beauty of Advent is God's continued posture toward us of letting it be, of letting himself be. I mean, you realize what it meant for Jesus to let God be. That meant the cross. You realize what it meant for God to let Jesus be. 
It meant the death of his only son. And then in and through that comes the great victory over sin. It comes the redemption of humans. And in and through that comes, comes all of the wonderful experiences that you and I have of being released from that thing that wants to define us and from that story and from that thing that we don't want and didn't ask for because Jesus is so much better. He's so much stronger. He's so much fuller. And that all happens because God justives this. Because God is releasing himself over and over and again in our lives. And the question is, is will we agree? Like, will we agree? Like, will we look at God and say, I don't want that. No. (laughs) No. But that is what God is calling us to carry and what he's calling us to walk in. And rather than fighting against him and beating our heads against this proverbial wall that is not going to ever move, Because his love never moves. Rather, we agree and see what this adventure might become. You know, my kids haven't been healed yet. And I don't know how the Lord's working that out or what's in his mind for any of those things. And my wife's gotten to the point where she'll thank God for the presence of CF in our lives because God has used it to transform and reveal so many things about himself to us. I'm not to that spot yet. I'm not ready to say thanks to God for this yet. Um, However, we have agreed together on a consistent basis to say to the Lord that we will let you be (laughs) and that we will let this be. And we are going to, again, seek you and find you in this place. And over and over again, releasing our striving and our anxiety to him so that he can continue to be all that he is in the present tense moment that he is with us. Agreeing in all of those things. Like this is, this is the avenue by which we know God. And this is the avenue by which we have our kids. (laughs) And this is one of the, by, by, by which our kids know God. And what it means for them and us and we to experience has everything to do with agreeing with this. And with just like Mary in the situation that we didn't want and didn't ask for, saying, yes, God, we agree. Let it be. Let it be. And everything in me still rages and hates CF with every emotion that I can conjure. <laughs> However, everything in me loves God and the fact that he hates that disease as much as I do. And that he is working something in us that I will no longer fight against and that I still don't understand. But I'm not going to war against him anymore in it. Rather, letting him be all that he is, seeking to receive what it is that he is doing. It's the biggest challenge I've ever had in my whole life. It's the biggest challenge today as it was then. You've got this stuff in your life. What is it that God is trying to love you in and through that you do not want and did not ask for? What experiences? It doesn't even have to be current. Right? Your history is as active today as it ever was when it actually happened. Like, what's, what happened then? What process is it that God was starting and moving you in and through to reveal himself to you more and more deeply that there was just such a deep inability to agree with and to let be? I think God is inviting you back to the space. I think he's inviting each one of us back to that space or into your current reality 
where we would strive and push and, 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 and just put our heads down and try and work harder and figure this thing out. Rather, what does it mean for you to let it be in whatever that is? That's the place where you'll find God. And that's the place where life will be birthed. Right? Life that is transformative and redemptive like you and I have never known it. And that is his invitation this Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty and wonder of who you are and for the redemption that you bring us in Christ. We worship you and love you and realize that it is your story that you are working. And in the same way that you have always let it be, God, I pray that we would receive that posture of heart and spirit as well, where we are not striving and pushing and uh, um, working against you, but rather letting you fully be and agreeing with your work. And for those spots that are so hard for us to do that in, the spots that we don't want and didn't ask for, God, I pray for grace, grace upon grace upon grace for each of my brothers and sisters to hear and to see what it is that you are doing, the work that you are accomplishing, what it means for them to know you in unique ways that their experience provides what it is to experience your love in ways that they could not any other way because <laughs> this thing is there. And so rather than running from it, God stepping toward it and finding you in it and letting it be. Thank you for the incarnation of Jesus, for his presence among us, and for the redemption that we have through him. In Jesus' name, amen.